Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Monday, the 8th of November, and you're saying to yourself, good morning. What makes this morning good? Well, God makes this morning good, and God makes every morning good, and I don't want us to ever lose sight of that. What's so good about this moment, this day, this opportunity that you and I have to live as the ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world? What's so good about all of that? Well, in a word, God. God. God is great and God is good, always and in all ways. The gospel holds. God is good. Let us thank him for life and breath and every other gift of his providence and his grace that we take for granted. What's so good about this morning? God. So again, I'll say it. Good morning. Good morning. I have a litany of prayers this morning, Um, some, you know, like personal and close to home, some of thanksgiving and gratitude to God, some of um, prayers that fall into that category of like hashtag pray the news because they are situations around the world and in communities across the United States about which I can not do anything but pray, but praying is not doing nothing. Praying is doing what I can do, which is bringing the mercy of God to bear on situations that are outside of my, uh, otherwise outside of my reach and control. So uh, close to heart and home this morning, prayers for our producer, Paul Perot, who is in Honduras this week. Um, prayers for my best friend from high school. Her name is Jessica. She's traveling uh, with some of our friends to Egypt to talk with fellow Christians and encourage them in their ministries. So prayers for um, everything related to that. Uh, My heart has been going out all weekend uh, to and prayers going up all weekend for the families of the victims of the melee at the concert at Astroworld in Houston, Texas on Friday night. Um, Every life is precious. The eight victims range in age from 14 to 27. There are dozens of others still in the uh, still in the hospital. There are still uh, high school age students in the hospital um, in critical condition. And I know that um, the family of this freshman in high school, John Hilgert, excuse me, um, his 14-year-old who was, you know, at a concert to listen to the music of a rapper he, uh, you know, he loved. Um, And his life has come to an end. And Brianna Rodriguez was just 16. And I don't know about you, but um, it is hard to imagine the grief and the guilt and the regret and the anger of their parents and their families. Um, And so my heart goes out to them. My prayers go up for them. Let us pray for the churches in the 
Houston community and in other communities because the victims are from actually all across the country. Let's be praying for them that the light of Christ would shine in the midst of this deep, deep grief. Our friend Dave Burring joins us next from Lion's Share. Um, we're going to talk about honor. So we Sometimes we forget, I think, we forget all of the things that the Bible um, tells us, reminds us, commands us. And so let's focus in for a moment on Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 11. Uh, Paul here makes a really concise list of what the Christian life is to look like. And so Romans 12, 9 to 11 says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. What does it mean, honing in on just or focusing in just on one of those um, encouragements? What does it mean and what does it look like to outdo one another in showing honor? We'll be right back. Joining us uh, again today, as he does on a regular basis, is Dave Burring from Lion Share. Welcome back, brother. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. I I am well. I am well. I uh, how did you use your extra hour this weekend? I used it in a very non profitable way. I sat on the couch in my pajamas for an extra hour and caught up on Holiday Baking Championship. That sounds like a good way to do it. I I grabbed my extra time with grandkids. <gasps> Yay! All right, so that is that is wonderful. All right, so I um I teed up this conversation in this way. I read Romans chapter twelve verses nine to eleven, in which we are reminded, among other things, to outdo one another in showing mm-hmm. honor. Yes. So let's talk about honor um, and honoring one another. What's the world say about honor, and then what does the Bible say about honor? Yeah, so right now I think the world is is not uh not expressing biblical kind of Jesus thinking honor very well. You know, let me let me start this with a a, a story to reinforce this like Carmen for me one of the wake up calls about honor happened uh, when I was reading a book by by the name uh, by a man by the name of Tom Marshall, a New Zealander who's now in heaven. Great thoughts on honor, and I was sitting on a plane. This is probably early 1990s, so nearly 30 years ago, and I'm towards the back of the plane, and and I keep hearing this sound, <gasps> over and over again. <gasps> it's like like kind of that surprise sound, and and I looked up, and about oh, I don't know, five rows ahead of me, walking down the aisle is a former president. And this president is literally walking down the entire aisle of the plane, shaking everybody's hand and then going up the other side of the aisle. All this is a big old plane. And what was happening is the shock of people kind of looking up as this president is extending their hand to them. And and then after this whole thing passed, I thought, why was there this, oh, and it wasn't just because of the surprise. It was because there was a sense of value of somebody of importance in their eyes standing there wanting to speak to them. 
And I think that gives us a sense of the importance of honor. Honor makes somebody feel valued. And they, it makes them feel valued to the point that, that when you look at the Bible, the Bible tells us we're created in the image of God. And number two, the blood of Jesus has been shed over us. So because of those two things, each and every person is worthy of honor. And it should cause us when we're together to go, oh, and recognize the privilege we have of being with one another. So from a biblical worldview, then, honor is due everyone because everyone is of value. Uh, that's not the way the world doles out honor. Um, no. If you or I had walked down the aisle of the airplane and tried to shake everyone's hand, my guess is um, <laughs> that like that that would have been would have been some resistance. Um, I, so I so I want to like I want to acknowledge that in the world, um, honor is doled out for for like some level of like recognize recognizability um achievement um yes acts of service i appreciate um on you know on flights where they give you know preferred seating and uh, and a and some sort of act of gratitude to active uh service members i've been on planes where service members have been coming home and you know they were going to land in their home city and we've let them get off the plane first like and and it's the only time i've ever been on a plane where everybody stayed seated and let somebody else get off in front of them so i do think there are these like acts of honor where we recognize the contribution the sacrifice um sometimes just the achievement or the performance. I mean, I, I'm thinking this week that some sports team, you know, got to go to the White House. And, you know, I, I, I really, I don't, I don't even know, like, why we do that. But we do. Um, and so let's talk from a biblical worldview. What, um, what is honor from a biblical worldview? I mean, and, and how does the Bible talk about honor? Um yeah. yeah so honoring. Yeah. So I think a, a good place to start is realizing that the kingdom of God is really built on the principle of people mutually honoring one another. Um, the Bible talks about a lot of things. One of the things that was curious to me uh, during that same period in the 1990s when I was digging deep on this was that the Bible speaks as much about honor as it does obedience. In other words, we all know we're supposed to obey the Lord. And, and whether you use the word obey, obeying, obedience, or honor, honoring, honors, it, it speaks to it about exactly the same amount of times. And so we can see that in God's heart, in God's mind, this whole understanding of the recognition of another person's worth and value and the attitude that's supposed to go along with it is really, really important. And when I, when I look at honor in, in the scriptures, I see three different expressions related to what we are supposed to honor, measures of honor. The first one is what you mentioned, value due to performance. Romans 13, 7 speaks of that, give honor to whom honor is due. So when we achieve something and, and we do that, like you said, well, the applaud of the hands when a basket scored with one second left, you know, we do all that value due to performance, probably the one thing of value we do better than others. The second in the scriptures is honoring due to God's character. And in other words, how God's character is translated into our lives. So we were created in his image. We're to reflect him in, in the spiritual beauty of who he is, his moral 
attributes through our character. And, and we know that in 1 Timothy 3, spiritual leaders are actually supposed to be selected, not based on their status in society, but based on character. So those two, Carmen, are both earned and not just freely given. We have to earn those. Like, like think about it. Sometimes we can, we can value somebody for their performance, but their character is not good. All right. And the third one is honoring. Hey Dave, let's 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 take a um, a brief Got break it. here and let's come back and talk about the third measure of honor. We've talked about honoring one another uh, due to performance and honoring due to character. When we come back, we're going to talk about a third way that we as Christians are to outdo one another in showing honor. We're talking with Dave Burring, and you can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. We're talking about honor. We're talking about the biblical mandate to outdo one another in showing honor. We value one another due to performance. We honor due to character. Dave Buring, how else do we honor one another? <laughs> All right, we're, um, we have lost our connection to Dave. So I will tell you, um, we honor people because of their intrinsic value. So the cross of Jesus is this constant reminder that God values us so much um, that he would send his son, our Savior, Jesus, um, to shed his blood that we might be redeemed. That is extraordinary. So uh, Dave Burring is back. He's going to continue to unpack how we honor people because of their intrinsic value. Dave, I've already told them that it's because of the cross. Yeah, and I think there's a... It's something that's very, very important that we realize because sometimes we run into people where their performance can't be honored. In other words, the way they did something, it's just not good. And maybe their character is even worse. And when I run into people like this, it's this kicks me right into this third one, that there's this intrinsic value because, again, they've been made in the image of God. The blood of Jesus has been shed for them. It makes them worthy of being treated with honor. And I think this is something that we can look at related to anybody, anytime that we are, are relating to people. They can always be treated with honor because of who they are. And I think that's a really, really important thing. It's something, obviously, that the church has a wonderful opportunity to express honor differently than the world does. Yeah, I think for me, this one is wound up in, um, like, God-placed God sees that person as worthy of Christ. And so how dare I place any value on them other than the value God places on them? Like, right? That, so that for me, the honor then I'm extending to that other person is about who they are created um, as an image bearer of the living God, whether they recognize that about themselves or not, and whether or not they're living into a redeemed reality I'm recognizing in them that God saw them worthy of the blood of Christ. And so I dare not see them as worth anything less. So I think that the honor part for me at that point, just to be perfectly honest, like I have to, I almost have to look beyond the circumstance and the, and the reality that we're in to Christ and, and try to see the situation and the person in the way that he does. 
No, that's exactly right. That's really well said. And I mean, imagine if today, you know, the people that we wake up next to, the people that we're in the house with, the people we're on the job with, the people we bump into at the grocery store, or getting our mail or whatever the case may be, it's if we could begin to ask the Holy Spirit to train our thinking. It's it's both a heart thing and a mind thing, isn't it? It's, it's re- um, calibrating our thinking. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2, the renewing of our mind. And it's interesting to me because Romans chapter 12 is a great relationships chapter. It's where we're pulling our text from today. And it begins with renewing your mind. And it's important that we, we allow God to renew our minds so that we see each other through his lenses rather than ours. Amen. All right. So let's talk about ways of expressing honor toward one another practically um, today. Yeah, so these are some of the things I learned from from Tom Marshall years ago that I've I've tried to apply in my own life. And uh, sometimes there's a swing and a miss, but they're they're there for me. And and they're conveniently they all start with A's. So I'll give you a couple of them here, and we can chat about. So the first one is acceptance. Um, we live in a tolerating culture, and a person who is receiving genuine acceptance from us. Um, feels respected and valued. It's it's us standing in a circle and someone walking up to the circle. Are we going to keep the circle closed? Or are we going to just kind of take a step or two back and allow that person in? And acceptance is an expression of honor. But let me just say this, Carmen, it doesn't mean we agree with everything they're doing in their life. And I think that's something as Christians we get awkward with. It's like, well, if I if I accept them, then it means they think I'm in, I agree with everything they're doing. And that, that's not what it means. Like God accepts us and he doesn't always agree with everything we're doing. And so it really is a, an attribute of God that's expressed through us when we accept someone where they're at. And what I've learned over the years is if we don't accept people where they are, we never have an opportunity to be able to maybe lead them to where they need to go. And so acceptance is one. Another one is affirmation, which is reinforcing a person's value by drawing attention to their strengths, to their gifts, to the things they've done. And again, this is something that lacks in our culture, where you just go up to somebody and you verbally affirm them. Or in the midst of a conversation, you just say, you know, hey, let me just stop you there. I just need to let you know your kindness and your consistency of faithfulness blow my mind. Well, see, that's part of the honoring for character. And I think there's just lots of things out there like that that we can be doing that lets us express honor to one another. All right. So we have acceptance and affirmation. Um, Another way of expressing honor toward one another is appreciation. Yeah. And I think this is simply saying thank you. Like how Mm. this is a... um, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying a pet peeve. It doesn't get me all worked up. But one of the things I dislike is when, you know, let's just say you're going into a restaurant and you kind of measure the, the, the person behind you and you realize they're they're close enough to you that you need to kind of stand there and keep the door open for them. And I'll do that. I'll just get to the door. I'll stand there. I'll open it. And when people walk by me and they say nothing, sometimes at the end, I'll just say, hey, by the way, you're welcome. And then, of course, they turn around with big eyes, shocked. Oh, 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 thanks. And and I think, again, it's Romans chapter 1 says that the first step to a darkened heart is ungratefulness. And, and I think we have to be aware that um, thanksgiving, which really is an overflow of grace, it's tied to the same root word, that, that you know, because of 
somebody doing something that I didn't earn nor deserve, it's worth stopping to say thank you. And, you know, that that convicts me all over the place in my own life of am I expressing gratitude for things that are not earned, not deserved, but someone's freely done for me. All right. We've got um, approval, admiration and acknowledgement. We probably have time to talk about one of those. Okay, so um, admiration, admiration. um, It goes beyond approval because it not only agrees with um, the idea of what someone does, but but actually looks up to them, who they are, their character, their achievements. And think of it, Carmen, when the last time was you heard somebody look at somebody and in sincerity say, I so admire you. We just don't hear it. We just don't hear it very much anymore. And I don't know if it's because of our own focus on ourselves. I don't know if it's because we have stopped recognizing what really it is that's standing in front of us. But but admiration is one of those things we need to rediscover. And I think the church can lead out in this, just in, in the way that we speak and relate to one another. So, you know, those that are listening today, I just want to challenge you, you know, whether it's acceptance, affirmation, appreciation, approval, admiration, or just the acknowledgement of somebody. Let's be different today. Let's practice and exercise honoring one another. Yeah, I'm um, I'm mindful here of somebody um, in my past who clearly did not want to accept me in the room, affirm the contribution that I was making. He didn't appreciate mm-hmm. that I was there. He didn't even appro- approve of the position that I was in at the time. He certainly didn't ign- admire me. So what he said was, um, um, I, I acknowledge that you exist. Yeah. That was as far as he could go, but he was yeah. try. He was really trying to um, to live into the command to uh, to show honor mm. Um, mm. among us all. All right, so um, Dave, as always, thank you for uh, your contribution to the conversation today. Thank you for getting us going this morning, for drawing us into the Word and drawing out of the Word real principles that we can live by. Um, you guys can visit with Dave online at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. Every single day, uh, every single minute, we, you know, we face the challenge of applying the mind of Christ to the headline news of the day. So um, I'm acknowledging that the headlines are um, full this morning of, uh, you know, of all kinds of dastardly details about things going on uh, here in this nation and around the world. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about the life and legacy of Colin Powell. His funeral was this weekend, and um, it just occurs to me that you know, there's there's some people over whom we need to give pause. We need to sort of yield to what's driving us forward into, you know, what's next, and instead look back and say, you know, let's let's look at what lies behind uh, in terms of this one particular life. So Daniel Bennett's going to join me, and we're going to talk a little bit about Colin Powell. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever experienced a one-way conversation? You talked to someone, there was a transfer of information, but no real connection? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. There was a student at our Heartlight Residential Program for Teens several years ago who fit the one-way conversation description. Ask her how her day was going, and you get a 20-minute soliloquy on all her likes, dislikes, her talents, her achievements, and her dreams for life. Partway through this chatter, 
it occurred to me she was merely trying to engage in the best way she knew how, by impressing me. All she really wanted was to feel valued. She just didn't know how to go about it. So next time you're in one of those one-way conversations, look below the words and value the person. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. All right, Daniel Bennett joins us again this morning, one of my favorite conversation partners. He's from John Brown University. He also blogs at Daniel Bennett, um, which is a substack called Uneasy Citizenship. So, Daniel, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Colin Powell. Like, I, I think I just want to tee up the conversation that way. Um, when I when I say his name and we reflect on his life, what would you have people um, think about and remember? Well, it just strikes me as the, in many ways, the quintessential American story, right? This uh, guy born into some pretty difficult life circumstances who, through tenacity and intelligence and, and all the other uh, traits you expect from leaders, rises up to a you know, position of prominence in the military, um, comes to prominence in the 90s with the first Gulf War, serves in a presidential administration. I mean, uh, I think it really is the essence of, of the American dream in so many ways. Yeah, and I, I appreciate, um, you know, that he's a person of faith, but he's not a person whose faith necessarily was, you know, like prominently trotted around in the headlines. He carried himself with a, you know, with a personal dignity. Um, he kept, he he seemed to be very successful in sort of protecting his family from the political uh, machinations of the day. I just, I think he's just unique in so many ways. Yeah, you know, he would be approached uh, a number of times about running for president, uh, and you would think someone with his, you know, personal story would do pretty well in electoral politics. But the more you think about it, it, it just would not be a good venue for him. He wasn't particularly self-aggrandizing. He did have a vision for service, and this faith, like you're talking about, uh, you know, he wasn't spouting Bible verses and using his faith as a cudgel, but rather it's, it really did seem to inform everything that he did, and. Some of the decisions he made later in life, like with the, uh, you know, presenting evidence uh, during the first or the second Iraq war, the lead up to that, he really struggled with his role in that. And I think a lot of that had to do with the sense of right and wrong from a moral perspective, not just a transactional one. Yeah, I think that um, you describe it well when you say, you know, his faith informed everything that he did. I do, I do perceive him to have been a person of um, like deep, not just not just deep character, right? I mean, I just think that his character is just one of those things that I just want to keep pointing to and tell young men and women, be like that. Like, And, and I think yeah. anybody that we can point to in the culture today who um, has obviously been in those spaces and places where political compromise was would have been the expedient way into or out of power. and um, And he didn't seem to traffic in that at all. He did not trade in that. And yet he rose to, as we note, the highest levels in terms of honor and um, respect. People loved him. I mean, across the political spectrum and and not just, you know, he he earned the respect of others. And he did so in a way that I think just magnifies the dignity of people and, and acts of service. 
Uh, you, you said it very well, and I'll just I'll just mention that you know I have three young kids. Uh, I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, six-year-old, and you know when they're you know when we talk about people to to emulate, not idolize, but to emulate, um, he's going to be one of those people that we talk about uh, mm. as they as they continue to mature and grow up. Yeah, I love so rest that. In, That's rest, so in, rest in rest in peace, and we know that he has uh, he has an eternal. Amen. Okay, so hope, um, an eternal hope, hope whenever, anytime hope is in the headlines, I'll just confess, that's uh, that's probably a story I'm going to read. And so um, at the end of the week, I you know I'm reading this hope headline, new COVID-19 treatments give the world what it has longed for, hope. Now, I am not putting my hope um, in a pill. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Um, or, or horses or chariots either. I put my hope in Christ. But when the word hope makes, it way into the, makes its way into the headlines, I will, uh, you know, confess, I stop and take note. Um, that conversation about, you know, the, there's a treatment out there in the form of a pill for COVID-19, um, I think is a part of then the conversation about President Biden's vaccine mandate which is really sort of the hot topic um, on the COVID front right now. Can you tell people who, who have not been, you know, they've been doing other things this weekend. So what, <laughs> on, yeah. what, what has the political world been all, you know, all a Twitter with in relationship to the vaccine mandate? Well, some of your listeners might remember several months ago, the Biden administration said that it would be requiring businesses with more than 100 people uh, to have their uh, employees either vaccinated or presenting regular negative tests uh, for, for COVID. Um, it, take, it takes quite a while for these rules and regulations to actually be rolled out. And so uh, in the last week or so, we saw, this, uh, we saw this regulation handed down by the Occupational Safety Health Administration, uh, OSHA, um, Hazards Administration, excuse me, uh, OSHA, uh, that basically rolled this regulation out in practice, um, requiring businesses uh, over 100 people to have their employees vaccinated. Um, but of course, it was immediately challenged, like a lot of these rulings are. And you know, initially, you think about OSHA, and they do have a pretty wide, uh, wide berth in terms of setting health and safety agendas uh, in private and public settings. Um, the difference here, though, I think, has a lot to do with their emergency authorization. Um, the, 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 the critical question that the courts are going to have to decide is whether or not the COVID pandemic, whether it's waning, whether it's just lingering, constitutes this type of emergency that would allow OSHA to circumvent the normal rulemaking process, which takes usually several years. To... So that's the somewhat convoluted story of where we are today. The short answer is the rule is not going into effect at the moment. It's in the courts right now. And I imagine the Supreme Court will have to weigh in at some point. All right. So that's definitely uh, a headline that we're going to, you know, we're going to continue to follow and talk about. I, you know, it's certainly curious when when 26 states weigh in on something, when a couple of seminaries, when, you know, when it's just interesting to me when a lot of when a broad spectrum of people uh, get upset about one thing, you know, that's that's sort of I will just confess alerts me to the fact that maybe we should all be paying attention to that, um, at least, you know, at least for the time being. Yeah, you're right. Anytime there's these uh, strange bedfellows of sorts, it does kind of perk your ears and say, okay, well, what are the arguments here and, and why should we be paying attention to that? All right. I just like to say it was Ryan Burge who brought up strange bedfellows, not me. Oh, not Ryan. Not Ryan. You, it was Daniel Bennett who brought up strange bedfellows. <laughs> 
not me. And I have Ryan Burge on the mind because you and I have both read something yeah. that uh, that he wrote. And so um, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, Daniel and I are going to talk about Americans who identify as religious and political and the difference between like how we identify and then actual behavior um, and why continuing to ask these questions and seek to understand ourselves really matters. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. All right, Daniel, you and I both read this um, this Ryan Burge piece, and you know, first of all, let's just remind let's remind ourselves why it's important to sort of navel gaze and ask questions about ourselves and ask one another questions. Like, what's the point of taking surveys and doing doing research? Well, you know, first, I think uh, just generally speaking, it helps us understand the world around us, right? Just like we use science to uh, understand physical phenomena, whether they're uh, sicknesses or the way the world works in terms of geography, geology, et cetera. Um, social science can help us understand behavior uh, and what motivates people to do things and what motivates people's beliefs about uh, certain things. And this is especially relevant when we talk about the people's religious behavior in a changing culture. Um, for so long in American history, right, we were a, a Christian nation, so to speak, in the sense that people's default religious tradition was Christian, even though they didn't, even though they didn't always, you know, actually believe that. But now as the country becomes more and more pluralistic and, and religiously diverse, it really does behoove us more to, to drill down into what that actually believes or what that actually means in terms of uh, behavior when it comes to religion, as well as the intersection of religion and politics. All right. So when we're talking about uh, a question like how religious is your average 22 year old, um, what what point is uh, is Ryan Burge trying to make in terms of looking specifically at an age cohort in the United States of America at the intersection of their religious um, self-identification and their political behavior? So the, the piece from, from Ryan is, is really interesting in that it brings up a lot of these uh, major problems that social scientists have to deal with for quite some time. And without getting too technical, it's an issue of sample size. So if we were to try to understand, say, the political behavior of Mormons in the United States or LDS, um, that would be really difficult to do using a survey just because you wouldn't be able to capture that many LDS folks in the survey. Um, what we've been able to do over the last several years, though, is through the creation of an administration of these larger surveys that capture thousands and thousands of people. You know, we're not capturing, say, thousands and thousands of Mormons or Buddhists or Hindus, but we're getting enough of a, of a sample that we can actually make some pretty interesting inferences. And the same goes across age cohorts, bringing it back to 22-year-olds, right? There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of speculation about what Gen Z believes about religion. I think you and I have talked about this in the past, uh, what that looks like in practice. But now as we're getting more and more people responding to surveys from this lower age group, we can actually start to see some pretty interesting or make some pretty interesting observations about what this one specific sliver of our population uh, believes about religion. 
And the the asking of the questions and the aggregating of the information and the distilling it down has actually that process has become um, much more granular. And I think I hear Ryan celebrating that like we are at the place where we can now ask the questions to enough people in an, with enough depth that we can actually get answers that are meaningful. Yeah, that's 100 percent right. So, I mean, we were just you just mentioned a, a few minutes ago the this covid pill. And it's a, and, and that is a miracle of, of science, right? That we're able to develop totally. something like that so quickly. Totally. Right. Um, I'm not saying social science surveys are the same, the equivalent. Uh, but as our methods improve and as we get better about how as we get better about asking questions and deploying surveys and sampling different groups, uh, we can actually learn a lot more about the world around us and the people in our community, which will you know, hopefully give us some insight into policymaking, outreach. And as Christians, you know, how do we how do we engage a world in which we're uh, increasingly in the minority? So um, do people lie when they're surveyed? And if so, why um, do people fudge on like how often do you go to church? How often do you read the Bible? How often do you pray? I mean, or uh, is there no? I mean, if you're if it's a survey, it's it's just you and God who know whether or not you're telling the truth. Like it's not. So do you see what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to get a little bit yeah. behind why people might not tell the truth in something like a survey that you're answering online anyway. Yeah, so there there are differences in, in, in this answer, depending on whether you're taking a survey online or taking it over the phone, talking to another person. Uh, the mm. key term here is, is social desirability bias. This idea that if you're talking to another person, even on even on the phone, who you'll never meet, they don't know really anything else about you, you still want to give an answer that seems socially acceptable. So a good example of this that we've seen in, in research is, you know, you might ask the question, do you think that women should be active in politics? And, you know, most people in the U.S. are going to act are actually going to say, well, yeah, yes, of course they should be. Um, but the reality is that because of social desirability bias, those estimates are probably a little bit high because, you know, someone probably isn't going to be so forthright as to say, well, no, I don't think women should be in politics. Um, and the same goes for certain things about religious behavior. So if you live in a culture, for example, that's overwhelmingly Christian, like I live in Northwest Arkansas, we're, we're a culturally Christian community here. Um, you're probably going to get overestimates of people saying they attend church weekly when the reality is maybe they go on Christmas, maybe Easter. Um, so this does make it difficult for survey researchers. There are tools to deal with this, but this is a constant thing we have to fight with. So when somebody reaches out and asks if I want to participate in a survey, I always want to participate in a survey. I I am a person who I, I am highly participatory. I want to say yes. I am excluded because I have to say that I am a, quote, member of the media. Mm. So I know. So I don't get counted. Can you talk a little bit about, like, I don't know, how how do we decide who's – you know, whose answers count and whose don't. And are there large groups of people like me who, because of what we do, were excluded? I don't know if large groups of people, uh, I, I certainly think historically they've tended to shy away from talking to the press. Uh, maybe they don't, they don't want it to bias the sample in a particular way. Not that the press is biased, but maybe the, those folks are going to be more informed about politics or current events. I'm not entirely sure of the reason. Um, so I but, so my yeah, so my ahead. opinion my opinion is um since you were so gracious to ask um, uh, um <laughs> like I I don't 
I don't think that just because I'm a member of the media, I'm necessarily a journalist. And I think mm-hmm. that's the crowd who historically, you know, has like been necessarily excluded because they're supposed to be unbiased. Um, and oh, so yeah. I think the term I think the term media is now so broad. I mean, if every person who's written a book or has a podcast mm-hmm. self excludes because they recognize they're a member of the media, um, then nobody would ever answer a survey. Oh, yeah. No, I think that people are going to have to get better at what constitutes you know, actually, you know, swaying the results of a survey here. And I don't know. I think a lot of social sur- social science surveys don't really get involved with those types of questions. Um, but you do lead, you, you do bring up an interesting point in the time we have left. Uh, people will answer surveys who are already interested in answering surveys. And so the results that we're seeing are going to be from folks who took the time to sit down and really respond to a survey. What's missing are the folks who don't respond, who say, I don't have time to do this. I'm not interested in this. And, you know, those folks might be disproportionately younger. They might be disproportionately poorer, uh, have have a little bit more going on in their lives. Uh, and so another big question for social science researchers is how do we know that we're capturing a good sliver of the population? And there's ways we can do that. But and again, part of the part of the solution is increasing technology and just getting better at things. But it's a constant battle. It's a fascinating. Um, like, right. I want my opinion to count and I want it to be counted and I want it to be counted mm-hmm. in appropriate ways in answers to really good questions so that we can better understand ourselves and one another. Like, right. I really do want to know what 22 year olds in the culture um, think about in terms of abortion and assisted suicide and on and on and on. And in order to do that, we have to find appropriate ways to ask them that they will answer um, and they will answer right. honestly. So I love it. All right. Uh, Daniel Bennett, as always, so great to talk with you. You guys can find him at John Brown University. He blogs at Uneasy Citizenship. We'll be right back. All right, where are you going to weigh in today? Uh, Upon which issues and topics are you going to press the force of your life and influence? Let's start with uh, the people closest to us, right? Those people in proximity to to us. Let's be sure they see the light of Christ in us. Let's let's, uh, be sure that they feel the love of God. Let us outdo one another in showing honor first in our homes and in our places of work, on the roads where we're driving, in the communities where we live. Let's let's outdo one another in showing honor today. How might the world be different if today you and I just held that out as our like, all right, we're going to try to be shiny in this one way. Let's, let's be shiny today in outdoing one another in showing honor to others. That might be a simple act of appreciation, saying thank you. It might be the affirmation of another person. It might be just acknowledging that they are image bearers of the living God. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.